Is this a tempest in Trump's teapot, or is there a storm coming? I'm Monica Perez, and this is today's Deep Dive. So obviously, on every level, this is not the kind of story that I usually want to dig into. It's very tabloidy. It's got little Q angle. It's got just everything. It just feels like something I shouldn't be paying attention to. But my husband, my son, and a good friend of mine all asked me over the last day, what is going on with that thing? And I suspect it's because they don't feel like reading all the news stories and they know it's all BS. So I guess I would consider this maybe an on-demand deep dive, but I think a lot of people feel the same way. They don't want to get into it. They just want to know, you know, want somebody to curate the whole story for them. So I am happy to do that. I'm going to do that. I remember during the propaganda report, Binkley and I would talk about this. He would cover Stormy Daniels a lot. And I cannot remember all of the details, all the ins and outs. But as a big picture overview, I think maybe it is time for a refresher. And I noticed that he did a show on this topic this week. So I haven't had a chance to listen to it. And I doubt we'll repeat each other. But I even then, I don't want to post this to the propaganda report because I don't want to step on him. Um, But I decided to do it anyway because, you know, I just want to let people know that when this happens kind of in the future, I will not post it to the propaganda report. I will not kind of double his work. I will just post it to Deep Dives with Monica Perez. And I also told Binkley that I would not, I would only post a few times a week on the propaganda report. So I do get backed up and I skip some stuff on that feed. So if you think you may be missing some of my shows, uh, you probably are. (laughs) And if you want to get my newest stuff as soon as it's released, please listen on Deep Dives with Monica Perez on your favorite podcasting platform. But if you happen to listen on iTunes, which most people do, there is also a commercial free option for $5 a month. And I know a lot of people just do not like the commercials, but it is the way I pay for uh, producing. So I have to do it. I, I don't even break even. And if you and actually, if you do the commercial free thing, that's much better for me. So I would appreciate that as support, but mostly just if you want a commercial free thing. So anyway, this, uh, the latest there, this is still the news. It isn't, you know, over and it's going to have a couple of more rounds, I'm sure. But today's headline was as Trump faces legal woes, Democrats covet a rematch that was in the wall street journal. So it's really taking the political angle here. And, and for me, so this is all about an indictment that was handed down from New York superior court, the criminal term it's called. It's not like a a Supreme court. It's not like a Supreme court, our Supreme court, like the federal one that listens to appeals. It's actually where criminal cases are tried. It's weird. New York like that. Uh, so the the actual so an indictment came down against Trump. He actually appeared in person at court for the reading of the indictment. And you may have heard from Fox News and River that's totally ridiculous. And I am here to tell you it is totally ridiculous. <laughs> this is totally ridiculous. It's so ridiculous that it it cannot be what you see is what you get. And it's it's here. I, I guess you know my top read is always like there's theater involved. It is political theater, but let's break it down. What happened and why does it matter? And I actually stumbled upon some like code cracking in here, stuff I had not really realized before, what I really think is the underlying crime here. Anyway, so so what it is is the DA in New York, um, Bragg, I think his name is, I, I did so much research on this. Like, I could not get every last detail. Obviously, <laughs> that guy's name is important. But he wasn't really that important to the story to me, although he is the focus of the narrative and the media. I don't care about this guy at all. They're like, he's a Soros DA. I was reading a debunking conspiracy theory website. Always like, it's always the worst because it's completely <laughs> untrue. But they're like this idea that he was a Soros DA is a conspiracy theory they were debunking, even though he was elected with money from Color of Change, which is funded by Soros for these DA races. Like they in the debunking, they proved that he was a Soros DA. 
But this isn't, I don't even think this is like left, right, political, whatever. That guy might think it is, but he's not doing it without the full backing of the Democrat Party or even, I think Trump, this is benefiting Trump. So he's probably, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he's okay with it too. Whether they ask him permission is is that great mystery of how deep the conspiracy goes and who's into it. And I mean, the big, big picture conspiracy. So the actual indictment is really sparse. It's just a litany of 34 charges, which are, it's um, 11. Basically, they're saying that the Trump organization, Trump himself, reimbursed Michael Cohen, his lawyer, for giving, through his company, which was called Essential Cons consultants, I think, $130,000 to her lawyer, Keith Davidson. Now, I have not seen or heard about any documentary evidence about this at all, except for what Michael Cohen said under extreme duress in a, in a trial for real crimes, <laughs> I think, that he committed. So he said that Giuliani kind of, you know, affirmed this, but who the hell is he? And if Trump is happy to have this publicity, Giuliani just saying it's all hearsay. So, uh, although I guess it's not considered hearsay if it's a co-conspirator, which I guess Michael Cohen could be considered. But anyway, he supposedly gave this $130,000 and they reimbursed him. Trump and his organization reimbursed him for that in the form of twelve dollars $35,000 payments. <laughs> so if you're doing math real quick, you will notice that that's way more than $130,000. I think it's $420,000. They're saying they... Gave him, they doubled it because they had to cover his taxes, which is kind of reasonable. He charged him 50 grand for some tech thing. Nobody's really, you know, <laughs> okay. And then they wanted to give him a bonus. So this, if you ever did accounting, like these are called like plugs and tortured math and stuff like that. Like this is not $130,000. It's not even $260,000, which would be like the tax gross up or whatever. It's just... $420,000 that they're saying is compensation for this. And in my mind, the question is, does Michael Cohen, Cohen work for Trump? And is this reasonable pay for services? Because the, that what they said it was, was a retainer. And to me, at one point, Michael Cohen says that he, he only has three clients. This guy, Elliot Brody, which we can talk about if you want, which was also a hush money case. And he worked for him once in 2017. Uh, Sean Hannity, who doesn't pay him, and Donald Trump. So this is a New York lawyer who's working for one paying client on a regular basis. That client pays him a retainer of $35,000 a month for a year, totaling $420,000. That seems normal to me. <laughs> like, that seems valid. Like, I, what else is his source of income? Like, what this one-time hush money thing was, like, his something he counted on in a in a year totally distant from when the crisis actually arose. So I, the story doesn't hold water for me. But regardless of that, the indictment is charges for each one of those $35,000 payments three times. So it says they invoiced it, they wrote the check, and then they wrote that down in the ledger. <laughs> so frankly, that kind of piling on one person does one act with one purpose in mind and they are charged with a bunch of things on the state and federal level. And to me, that makes me crazy because that's how they get those tremendous plea bargains against people just by threatening them, like Tommy Chong, 99 years for his wife and son in prison for selling bongs to a Fed because they probably charge them for each bong and across state lines or whatever. I hate that stuff. The, the, the pundits on this case are saying, oh, that's uh, like capricious or whatever because it's called a multiplicity and you're not allowed to do that. I absolutely think you should not do that and I can't believe that it's done and it's legal. I guess this is just too blatant or takes it too far. I don't know. But that generally, that does drive me crazy, but doesn't shock me that it's like that. Anyway, so I, you know, my bottom line is I absolutely do not believe a hush money, hush money was paid Supposedly, there is an article, and I mean, I've seen the article. Supposedly, it was written but spiked in 2011 for In Touch magazine, where Stormy Daniels did say that she had sex with Donald Trump in July of 2006. 
A few months after Barron was born, by the way, to Melania, his new wife, who was smoking hot a month after this baby was born. I'm not saying it's beyond me that Trump would cheat on her night and day, like even in the honeymoon period, so to speak. I guess that's possible. Seems kind of unlikely. But I mean, just because of his pattern of behavior. But I'll tell you one thing I never believe about him. I don't think he's paying a professional sex worker or even sleeping with a professional sex worker because he's a skinflint, although she doesn't accuse, say that she that she took money or that she ever charges money for that. She's a porn exclusively, not a prostitute. But that he's a germophobe. He's a germophobe. And she said, uh, you know, he rode bareback. <laughs> like I just which is like also unbelievable for a rich guy, not just because of the germs, but because of the financial implications of a pregnancy. So, and this, the germophobia and the cheapness is why the P dossier never held water, in my opinion, so to speak. So, I don't believe it. And that, and that she said that to In Touch Magazine. I don't know why they would have spiked that. And why would he give her hush money when they had the story already? Like, I just, it just makes no sense. And they did ultimately re- release the story after supposedly this hush money was paid. So what was the point? What was the point of it all? Uh, and, and the convoluted way in which this hush money got paid with this Keith Davidson is a very shady character. He seems to be on this side of the deal all the time. He writes these agreements up. And, and in my mind, the crime wouldn't be actually in paying hush money. It would be in demanding it because that's a blackmail. Yet the whole reason this indictment, which even as it's written, would still just be misdemeanor stuff, misdemeanor stuff. I mean, that's small. And the amount of money is so small, $130,000, nothing. And um, but they're saying it was in service of an underlying crime, which promotes it to a felony. And that underlying crime is like interfering with an election because shutting her up. I mean, I cannot imagine how many payments like that have been made over the years. It's what Keith Davidson himself called catch and kill. It's you ca- you get the story, you pay for the story, and then you kill it. So this is like as old as uh, politics itself, it seems like to me. Oh, and such a tiny amount. What is that in the Wall Street Journal today? They're, they investigated for five years. Now, they did explain that it was on again, off again, but the DA said it was like new information has come to light, like (laughs) straight out of the Big Lebowski. So it just made me laugh because this is such a ridiculously small case and it would be pretty easy to investigate. They came up with basically nothing except for Michael Cohen's testimony. And for that kind of money, that's an insane waste of time and effort for that amount of money. And I'm sure what I'm saying is probably the kind of like political talking points that are coming out of Fox. I really cannot absorb that much of the 24-7 news cycle, but I'm just saying it is, it's a crazy story and there's no way that what you see is what you get. It's not a vendetta of this guy because the political repercussions, I mean, if he didn't have the full support of the media and the political machine, someone would start saying, you know, really you spent five years or, you know, um, carried on a, a five-year investigation on $130,000. It's like basically has no direct evidence to connect it with this alleged hush money, which I personally don't even think ever happened. So, oh, it's not just Cohen who said it. It's this other guy who was a Trump, um, you know, I think it was the CFO or something. He was a high-ranking Trump guy who was involved in this, who... Uh, signed off on paying Cohen, uh, Weisselberg is how his name is spelled. I'm not sure if that's how he pronounces it, but, and he at first said it was absolutely not for hush money. It was a retainer um, or for other services. And then he changed his tune and with immunity said it was. And my first reaction was, did they have something on this guy, (laughs) Weisselberg? And then I found later in my investigations that He was actually tried and convicted for financial crimes. And I further discovered later on that the judge that tried his case was the same judge who's trying Trump's case right now. And that happens to be the same judge who tried the tax case against Trump in New York. And it happens to be the same judge who's slated to preside over the Steve Bannon 
trial in New York coming up. So this guy, uh, Juan Merchant. So I'm thinking, what's the likelihood? Uh, you know, what's the likelihood? And I looked, how are judges assigned to cases in the New York Supreme Court? And it's supposedly random, uh, but, but it also says it's on rotation. So random is not the same as rotation. If it's random, you know, it gets generated. You pull it out of a hat. A rotation can be predicted. It can be gamed. And furthermore, it says throughout anything you read about this guy that he often takes financial cases. Okay, so there are 28 judges on the Supreme Court of New York. And if, if these are like the four Trump cases, the likelihood at, that he would be on all the, all the Trump cases, like all four out of four cases, there may be other cases, but I'm just saying, let's just say it's four out of four cases. It would be one in 5,000 that the same judge would be picked for each, the only one in 5,000, right? So then you have to say, okay, well, maybe they eliminate some judges when it comes to a financial case or they give this guy all the financial cases. Well, in that case, as long as you're just bringing financial cases, you get your guy. You know, that's like straight out of a mob movie. How do we know we're going to get our judge? Oh, this is how he's always assigned on a Monday or he gets all the financial, just call it financial. So like this, I, I, it's always so... Fishy. I've said this before. I've done entire shows on it. Uh, I think I might coin the expression "chercher le juge," <laughs> "chercher le juge," because there's the expression "chercher la femme," like look to the woman. That's an old like spoiler for old movies. "Chercher le juge," look for the judge. Look to the judge. And uh, and and Trump, of course, you know he says like this judge, uh, but but he doesn't say this. Why is this judge on all my cases? It's like mathematically impossible. He says, this judge is a Trump hater. It's like, well, of course, he's like a Democratic appointee. He's going to, you know, hate the judge. They never talk about Ronnie Abrams and how fishy she is. You know all about Ronnie Abrams. If you listen to my last deep dive about the judges from Mueller to Hunter Biden to the SBF case, uh, it's, you know, she's she's super fishy, but it doesn't say anything about that. <laughs> you know, they never really point to what the real problem is. Ah, anyway, but he did say, Trump did say that uh, Merchant, 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 I think it was Mer Merchant is how he pronounces it. Uh, Trump said, I found a quote that he rail that he claims that Merchant railroaded Weisselberg into a plea and um, acted viciously in the tax case. So he's acknowledged that he's in these other cases and that there could be funny business. Very strange. So on the one hand, I share Shay Le Juge, but on the other hand, I also share Shay Le Sentence and Conviction and Time Served in Jail. I always look at that. So I looked at like Michael Cohen, Roger Stone, and Paul Manafort. I was like, okay, these guys are big time players. If you start really putting in jail your political operatives, people are going to be a little more hesitant to be a political operative. It's going to cost you money. You're going to have to pay them more. And I'm talking about the political machine. Why does Putin not call out 9-11 or ISIS or Edward Snowden? Because he uses the same tactics. He benefits from some of this stuff. That is a curtain you do not want to pull back. I had heard that the reason they impeached Clinton is because of the Iran-Contra thing, that they crossed a line in um, going after Reagan for that. Like, you just don't do that kind of thing. So for me, I look and I think, are they real? Are these political operatives really going down in a big way? And I thought Michael Cohen will never serve his time, whatever. So, but he did. He served a year of a three-year sentence, and then he got house, and somebody saw him at a restaurant. <laughs> so, uh, but still, it was a year, and um, that might have sucked. But if you look at uh, Roger Stone, I think his sentence was commuted before he even showed up with Michael Flynn, the case was dropped. I think Paul Manafort spent a little time. I know he did. He spent some time in jail, but nowhere near his full sentence. And the funny thing is, I don't know about Paul Manafort. I didn't think to look into his case today, refresh my memory on that, but, but the Michael Cohen thing. So then I started thinking that, that it, like he went to jail for a year. I, so I looked into what the other charges were because he had real stuff going on. He had, some scandal around a taxi medallion or a bunch of taxi medallions. And I looked into that just now and 
from what I can tell, he had a bunch of taxi medallions. He had a lot of debt out on them. It was it's a it was a really expensive asset. They were like worth a million and a half dollars. I remember that very distinctly. And I wondered what would happen when they stopped because they used to enforce the laws really vigorously. Giuliani used to um, made being a gypsy cab like like picking people up without a taxi medallion thousand dollar fine, and they would they would catch them. It was really hard to get a gypsy cab. Uh, like you couldn't hail one. You could call one. That's different, but you couldn't hail one. I think that's the way it worked. So uh, I don't know if Uber like fit into some loophole, but I remember them saying that, oh, we can't stop Uber because we just don't know how, which is complete nonsense. You could definitely easily stop it, easily stop it. So I didn't realize that what actually happened was when Uber decimated taxicab um, values in New York, medallions went down from like a million and a half dollars to like $200,000. I mean, I had thought about it, but I just hadn't seen it in practice. Well, that's what happened to Michael Cohen. There's a lot of details about this. I don't know, but he had this debt. I think he had like $22 million of debt and he was trying to get out of it. And uh, he committed some fraud, at least made false reports and stuff to try to like get some loan forgiveness. I, I, I don't know all the ins and outs of a complicated case. But I'm looking at it, I'm thinking, so he went to jail for something real. Like, I'm, I think that he got off with pretty little time served, given that it was real stuff that he was doing. And then I thought, maybe Trump was giving him that money, giving him that work to try to help him out. Maybe all this hush money stuff, maybe all of that was, was actually invented as a cover-up. And I was reading that he was under investigation since 2017. And I think this hush money thing didn't emerge until 2018, to be honest with you. They say it was paid in 2016. But, um, and uh, that Keith Davidson had said that, oh, the reason it was paid and five years after the In Touch article and 10 years after the event happened was that Billy Bush uh, groping tape with Trump. That was the catalyst. And, you know, I never, ever understood what that thing was about. And I'm guessing that there was more to it than, I mean, there maybe was multiple purposes. But it may have been primarily to be used as an excuse that this was a catalyst. Although once the cat was out of the bag that he was like uh, sexually uncool, <laughs> not that it wasn't already. Um, you know, I don't know why they would do it. it was, and, and Davidson wonders about that, too. And it's just it is a mystery how this thing all of a sudden happened in 2016. But it did. And if you look in the context of Michael's bigger crimes or whatever, uh, I don't know why Trump and that crowd would would help him out, maybe because he knows where bodies are buried. And if you're not going to kill him, you got to, you know, keep him happy. Uh, but that Michael Avenatti, who was Stormy Daniels' lawyer after Keith Davidson, and then he went to jail for, I think, extortion, which this may well have been considered if it was real, but I don't think it was real. He had said something which I now believe is true, and he was probably arrested to shut him up and to discredit him. But he said, if you look at that essential consulting of Michael Cohen, it was full of payments to him big i mean it ended up in the millions from big companies and stuff lobbying and whatever and really it looks to me like it was he was selling access to the president inside information coming out of the white house it reminded me a lot of the scaramucci thing like he was in the white house for whatever two weeks or something like that but as he was poised to take that job in the white house he sold his company for tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars to a Chinese firm. And I, I think it's totally plausible that especially when you're dealing with Chinese who believe that, you know, all politics is paid for, which may be true. All you have to do is be in the inner circle to pretend, you know, and, and maybe you already know that something's going to go their way and you're just you're selling a lie which they never find out about because it really works. Like that was what the Rick Singer thing was in the, was in the college scandal was that, or there, there is a theory that you just charge everybody a million dollars to get their kids into the school they want. And you just give it back if they don't, but you get to keep it if they do and you do nothing. It's like kind of a funny joke. So, but I, I, I wonder, because then I started looking, did Michael Cohen ever declare bankruptcy? Because if his if the value of his assets was reduced by 80%, he had $22 million of debt that was causing him a problem. So if anyone has found evidence of how he 
you know, if he declared bankruptcy or how he resolved that debt thing, I'd be really interested in it. Email it to me to Monica Perez show at gmail.com or tweet at me at Monica Perez show. Uh, but I, I don't think he declared bankruptcy and I didn't see where he had to give that money back. Now, um, he, he may have had to, I'd be shocked if he didn't, but, but actually I don't think the money in essential consulting that Avenatti revealed was, uh, was part of that case. And Avenatti actually was under investigation for how he got access to Michael Cohen's records, if you can believe that. So that is such a classic case. That's like the butler uh, Jeffrey Epstein's like he got in more trouble uh, for turning in Jeffrey Epstein's little black book than Jeffrey Epstein got in for trafficking in <laughs> underage girls. So I I feel like that's so much more interesting is that that Michael Cohen was taking that money when he was under extreme financial duress. And I I wouldn't be surprised if that's why Trump was giving him that money. You know, whatever. Quid pro quo, no doubt. But anyway, now I'm really just speculating, but those are threads to pull on for sure. Okay, but this whole, whole thing, whether or not it was a cover-up for Michael Cohen, I don't think there's any, that that's why this thing is, the indictment came out at all. Like you would want to stop talking about it if that's what it was about. No, there are agendas for this. And, and it, because it's so weak and so obviously weak, you can see it as giving like tons and tons of fuel to the fire on the right and tons and, you know, and just keep the, the something to talk about on the left against Trump. And of course, I mean, I think the most obvious thing that you, that is being said is this guy's a Democrat, the DA is a Democrat and the Democrats want Trump to be the guy. And uh, that Biden has to run against because Biden's already beat him in their minds. Ha ha. And because what it said in numerous articles that I've read was that Trump gets Democrat voters out. You know, he's the one to hate. He's kind of I guess that would make him the Hillary of the right. Because <laughs> Hillary got people people out, out to vote against her. And that's what you really want. You want the guy who's going to people are going to want to vote against and they give more money. They like double their contributions because out of hate for him. So, so that would be like some real devious stuff if they're doing this because they know it will promote him in his ranks, make him more likely to win in the primary while not making him more likely to win in the general election, but getting him to uh, bring out the, the vote in the general election. That's thinking ahead. It is kind of curious that Trump declared that he was running so early. And in so doing, that makes this case uh, a possible uh, election interference, trying to influence an election by making a, you know, whatever, capricious case against him. So then you can, like, turn the table. So now maybe the next thing is that that the real story is this DA gets prosecuted or there's an investigation into that. Now, Trump did actually hint at that in his post, <laughs> you know, post court appearance speech, which was teleprompted, where he said, like, the real crime is this guy. This guy's the real criminal. He should be prosecuted for this. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if that actually becomes the narrative at some point, at least on the right. So it gives a lot of fuel both sides, the fact that it's so weak. So I absolutely do give no credence to the idea that this is like genuine axe grinding or witch hunts or whatever, like that it's personal, that it's individuals making these decisions. No, no, no. This is well, this is well scripted theater. The only thing I ever wonder is like, at what level are Republicans and Democrats in on it? Um, for me, Trump definitely like if Trump had an agenda here, it's like PR, it's raising money. He's bragging that he already raised $10 million. He's bragging that this thing backfires. Uh, Lindsey Graham was like, give this man money, you know, something like that. Like it's being used to fundraise for him. And actually, if it ends up that he doesn't run or he has extra money, the money can't go to him. But you can I, if I understand reading this correctly, which I read a couple of times. You can give it to charity as long as it doesn't benefit you. 
So if he has campaign surplus, maybe he gives it to charity that benefits somebody who has a really nice house that they will rent to him for below market rates, like I suspect this happens with Biden once in a while. Um, you know, I actually saw a politician do that in real life. Like I, he lived in some place really fancy free because his friend let him live there. And I was like, um, really? You have some good friends? Oh, yeah. He had some good friends. So uh, there's a lot of opportunity for exploiting like surplus campaign funds. Um, I'm really I'm not necessarily thinking it's that. I think he just, you know, the Trump brand benefits from publicity. That is his like thing. And maybe this is his job to do this stuff. And, and maybe, you know, whatever, maybe he gets other benefits. I don't know. But this definitely doesn't seem like something he wouldn't want to happen. Uh, but there are, you know, and in that whole like Democrat Republican thing, the Kabuki theater, the entertainment value, all of that really loves the hero, villain, victim archetype. And he can be all of those things at once. He can be the villain to the left. He can be the hero to the right. He can be the victim to the right. Victim is hero. Uh, all of that stuff he can. And even within it causes like conflict within the Republican Party. So you have um, you have him getting this ability, this boost. So maybe he can beat DeSantis. But DeSantis would be the one who would beat Biden. However, DeSantis is a little bit young and maybe they want to give him one round in the primaries before he actually runs. So maybe, you know, I think this stuff is scripted way in advance. So maybe he runs and uh, and loses in the primary to Trump, which, I mean, it seems preposterous to me, but I thought Biden was preposterous. So whatever. So whatever. So Biden gets back in with Harris and he's, you know, 83 or something. And he decides to abdicate or step down like uh, Benedict XVI or something, gives it to Harris. Then at least she gets her moment in the sun. And maybe she gets a term. DeSantis has a long time, you know, and he may be just that that we should have chosen him that time hero. You know, who knows? But I think there are bigger kind of uh, agendas at work here. I think I might have cracked the code a little bit on some more interesting stuff. Oh, but just a couple of little add-ons before. I get to that super interesting stuff. Like, um, I believe that this whole archetype thing, the hero, villain, victim, this um, conflict, the the battle, it it continues as uh, something really important as a distraction to people on the right who might otherwise be focusing on constitution, constitutional issues, or uh, you know, tax reform, or the or the deficit, or the debt and it cordons them off so that that they themselves like are in this tempest in a teapot but it doesn't it doesn't matter it keeps them completely occupied and engaged and politically distracted and that actually bothers me a lot um and i and i and this kind of personality thing this name calling that's a cult of personality on the one hand but it's, you know, a demonization on the other and uh, goes back and forth. So Trump said Biden has done the worst thing for this country than any other president. Um, Schiff, the congressman, said that Trump's crimes are unprecedented. And I'm thinking, like, does anyone know what LBJ was up to? Like, I, I think he was potentially going to be indicted for murder <laughs> before JFK got killed. And JFK, you know, Trump is also being uh, investigated for election interference in Georgia, which makes me insane. Because there, in my opinion, there was no, never good, or my understanding is never really a good audit. Like, I think there should still be an investigation into the election in Georgia. But as far as election interference goes, I mean, the JFK story, unless that, that was absolutely untrue, was that there was lots of funny business, especially the mob in Chicago and a lot of stuff like that came out that he really didn't win. I don't know if he did or not. But to act like this is like the biggest thing, just very political. And I feel like it's it's meant, you know, that just contributes to the whole theater thing. You know, um, there's also 
this, you know, we've noticed this before. We've talked about this before, that Stormy Daniels, it's a storm. That's not a real name, obviously. But the whole Q thing is, uh, is it the storm is coming? I don't know. It's like, trust the plan, I remember, and a storm is coming. And I'm just wondering if this is going to bring the storm that brings him back. You know, I don't, I don't think he's like for real, like he's going to actually change this country in any good way. But I think the storm is when like all those indictments come down, stuff that I've been hearing about for so many years. It's obviously not going to happen, but, uh, you know, the parallels, maybe the storm will backfire. I don't know. But there's just something always a little funny about the fact that Stormy Daniels continues to storm around Trump, who's supposed to be bringing the storm. Um, but one actual very concrete way that Trump might benefit from this is that actually the one place that you can go to, to get his comments and stuff is that's Truth Social. And people put real money into Truth Social. Like, it's his social media thing, and they want it to work. And he was, like, the best thing about Twitter. I, I actually just found that stuff, even though I thought it was ridiculous. I don't even think he's real, and I don't even think that he... I mean, I think he's a real person, but I don't... But, you know, when he was on The Apprentice, five different devices tweeted for him, and he didn't have a phone, <laughs> or he didn't have a computer anyway. So... I don't think it's even him, but it was very amusing. And this is a great way to keep that attention on Truth Social going. And every article I read, pro or con, um, or most of them mentioned Truth Social. And I was tempted to go look at it, but I was afraid I would have to like start an account. I didn't feel like doing that. Anyway. Uh, okay. So let me tell you the two things that I think uh, are really interesting about the agenda here. Um, one is that. I hadn't noticed for the longest time, I've talked about this, that all of a sudden, like, vulgarity started being a thing in the public domain. Then it started becoming a thing among politicians. And then there would even, um, you know, the, our process started breaking down. People would turn to protests and violence over our process, which always worked before. And people got rowdier at debates and, st and stuff that just reminded me of not just banana republics, but some of the histrionics that you see in even some of the European parliaments and stuff. And the Ukrainian parliament, which I now think is real because those people were, I'm sure, furious at the coup. But you see that stuff, and I never know if it's theater or real or whatever, but people like throw punches at each other. And another thing that happens in Europe, I've noticed, and, and like it just seems to be whatever, is like a criminal investigations, criminal trials, people get arrested. I noticed it a couple of times in France, and I was like, what? So the two things I'm thinking of there were Strauss-Kahn. Remember Strauss-Kahn is the director of the IMF, and he was going to run and probably win uh, for, in the presidency of France. And then they accused him of raping an African maid at some high-end hotel and, uh, and other, like a lot of other allegations, which completely knocked him out of the French candidacy. And were later, all charges were dismissed. It was totally debunked. So I'm investigating this today. And of course, a conspiracy debunkery is like, oh, you know, absolute lunatics uh, still claim there was a conspiracy against this guy. And I'm like, okay, there was a conspiracy against this guy. A lot of people came out with the same unfounded, unprovable, later dismissed charges, and it knocked him out of an important political position and then went away. Like, that's obviously a political operation. Like, what are you talking about? And then, uh, but another one which seemed actually legit is Christine Lagarde. And I'll tell you why it seems legit to me, because she's also an IMF chair and she was tried and convicted of some, I think it was a financial crime, and she kept her job. So that seems real to me, you know, because <laughs> I think they get away with this stuff. So, uh, but there's also a thing where, I mean, you, you see it in non-European countries quite a bit, like what they, they just kill people. Like uh, that what happened to the Egyptian president, Morsi, I, I don't know if he was a terrorist or what, but he was democratically elected. He was railroaded and charged with murder. Oh, uh, Yanukovych, the Ukrainian president, democratically elected president, was not just 
you know, they're not, we didn't just do a coup against him. We, we framed him for murder, you know, (laughs) like that's, oh gosh. Yeah. That's a huge example. So this obviously isn't framing this guy for murder, but, uh, but it is breaking that, that dam because it's, this is the first president to be indicted. I think Ulysses S. Grant was given a ticket or arrested for speeding in his carriage. (laughs) But I don't think we have to, we have to count that. So he, so Trump is definitely the first president to be indicted in this way or former president to be indicted in this way. And in a criminal case. And uh, I just, I feel like they may be testing waters here and I don't like it. I do not like the Europeanization of our system from, um, you know, having the Congress losing control of the specifics of how the budget is spent. Um, I don't like simple majority votes uh, I don't like that the parties all vote together. I don't like minorities are not being protected in Congress. Like I just, all this stuff is going very European. I do not like it. And this is one of those things. And then the last thing I will leave you on is something that I uh, gained in an interview I did yesterday with Travis Matier of the Zoomcron blog. And he's been on the show before. He's the guy from Missoula. And you can probably see that on YouTube. It's probably up on YouTube uh, on Rockfin, and I'll put it in the in the deep dives of Monica Perez feed um, probably next week in audio, but audio only. Yeah, the other stuff's video. So what he pointed out was when he was talking to people or investigating, like um, or noticing this idea of the the mental fatigue that government workers are experiencing. And I think of the the law enforcement officer who was reported to have committed suicide after January 6th. He was considered a casualty of January 6th. And they really talk about this mental health issues of, you know, whether it's social workers or the cops or whatever. And what Travis said was that he feels like it's meant to make the case to replace those people, maybe not physical people on the ground, but um, in the in the system with AI as much as possible. And there is an, like an e-governance movement that is definitely emerging. It's part of the whole tyrannical technocracy that's coming. But I hadn't made that connection. I couldn't figure out exactly what that was all about. And I think he's spot on. And I also know that there's a trend emerging of having judges adjudicate cases and the judges are AI. And as I said to Travis, like, that's the worst thing you can do. Like the one thing I learned in law school was that I'm not good at that. Like I'm not, that it takes a certain, not only just a human, but a certain kind of human to really understand the nuances of human interaction, because that's what law is. It's human interaction. And if you don't understand it, how it really works, the rules that it operates under, what if you can't really ex, if you can't understand, identify what people expect in their interactions, and it's cultural, and it's it's historical, and it may even be geological, geographical, according to like the climate that you live in, but that's what a great judge does: is that he can understand what it is that 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 is the essence of the issue and i my brain is definitely like zeros and ones it's like i and i'm not it's not a good thing like i'm very kind of black and white and it was hard for me law school is like the first time i ever didn't do you know well <laughs> i didn't even understand how to begin to get my mind around the problem And uh, a lot of times law school is about understanding what judges have said before, understanding why so you can apply it in the future. But the really good, and I I would like to say lasting, but the bad ones last too, but the really good eternal judgments are the ones that got it absolutely right. And they're, they're tough. AI could never, ever do that. So if the more, so when I was listening to Trump's speech, he was emphasizing how broken our system is, how broken this country is. And he has 
like his his tenure in the political limelight has has shined a light, especially on broken elections. And now it's broken DAs, which is law enforcement, broken judiciary. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he actually says and hat tip to Travis here. We should we should just have computers do it all. You know what I mean? We should just we should just make rules that you can't break. They should make the rules clearer. You know, because if you have really clear rules and protocols, you can program it. You can. But that's not what you want. You want a jury of 12 peers for every single solitary case because you and that's why I don't even like um, mandatory sentencing. You have a right to a trial by jury of your peers. And each case as it pertains is unique. Now, the principles must be applied, but I just to automate it anyway. That's a complete leap. Nobody's ever mentioned that in this case. But I am now super aware of when people are pointing out the brokenness. And I'll hat tip Ian for this because, you know, he applies the old adage, if it ain't fixed, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And if you want to fix it, you got to break it, kind of. I paraphrase. But like this system needs to be broken because they want to replace it with this technocracy. So I'm super alert to anything that says, uh, you know, that emphasizes that or demonstrates it. You know, the demonstration is, the, is more of it, like where you see is more important, is where you see that the judgment is wrong. Justice is not served. People are being persecuted for no good reasons. Like, you know, human beings are super flawed and they get stressed. So that's, you know, I just, I feel like those are, those are, those are lasting themes that come out of this story, in my opinion. And, you know, my, my takeaway is, you know, a bigger picture, stepping away from just those like agenda items that the presidency is pure theater. You know, there, there's nothing more to it anymore. It's not about real power. It's not about principles, not about that. Um, you know, I look at Biden and I think, you know, I just think from his perspective, I feel like this whole thing is just a dance to like keep the who knows how much he's gotten from the corruption over the years. The, that Peter Schweitzer's book, uh, you know, the IMF stuff and the Ukrainian stuff, stuff he's, his brother and his son have done um, and using his name along the way. Like, I feel like he is there. He probably knows where bodies are buried himself. And he's there to make sure that, that, that nest egg is in place and, they're there to make sure he doesn't say anything. You know, I, I feel like it's that it's that microcosmic at that level that it really he isn't calling any shots about foreign policy. He's following orders. I feel like this Trump thing is theater. Uh, I feel like with him, it's it's much smaller scale. It's his little world and the PR and the campaign contributions and truth social and that stuff, which is a little more legit. It's not corruption. It's business. It's PR, which, you know, I'm not saying he hasn't bent rules. That's for sure. Um, but it just, it's just a smaller scale thing in my opinion and, and a little, you know, a lot less bad, but, but there is the politics in it. There is like how it gets, how it sways public opinion and, where public opinion, a lot of times I think it follows, but like it's testing public opinion and it sees where, how far it can go. But in the end, it's important to pay attention to because how it ends up is, is how, you know, is going to determine the mood of the country, the policies of the country. Just think about the differences between Trump, Biden, Harris, and DeSantis. If those four people pick those in the White House uh, in 2024 to 2028 and you know, I think DeSantis is a CIA agent and I still think he'd be like 10 times better than the other people. Uh, I cannot vote for CIA agents, but um, but just think about how all this manipulation, all this theater changes the mood of the country and you end up voting for the personality or against the personality without, you know, the same the same bureaucrats, the same technocrats end up implementing whatever policies they can get away with. But uh, let's hope that they can't get away with the worst of it. You know, we'll stay on our toes. So, oh, yeah, I want to tell you about. So I love I absolutely love <laughs> Trump Science CBD now. Like I, you know, at first I was I've told you this before, like, I think it's weird. 
But um, so I went to Japan. I don't know if, we, if, if I mentioned, I mentioned that in a few shows. I went to Japan and tagged along in my husband's business trip. So it was just me and my son bumming around because he was busy all day and I loved it. It was super fun and um, the food was great. We went to Kyoto to shrines. I liked Osaka. Everything was cool. I would love to live there, I think. Although my son and I agreed like they shouldn't want us there. Like we would, we love their culture, but we would ruin it. Like they were the only people not wearing masks. There was no rules to wear masks, but everybody just did it. Like they seemed to be a pretty uniform culture and I don't fit in, but I love it because it's very clean and safe. And it was incredibly cheap because the uh, dollar is so strong. And I love this thing called the Suntory Highball. It's, it's whiskey and soda, whiskey, soda, whatever. It comes out of a tap. You can get all you can drink at your table. There's, there was a tap at my table for $4 an hour. <laughs> I had a great time. <laughs> anyway, but when I came home, I was super jet lagged. So I have like a jet lag routine. I like alternate melatonin and Benadryl. But over time, if you take melatonin for more than a few days, it stops working. I don't know if you realize that. Your body stops producing it. So you're just like addicted to it. And I read recently that Benadryl is not good for you. So after a couple of days, I just switched to my old CBD plan. I eat a 25, whatever it is, milligram gummy. And I sleep like a rock. And I feel great the next day. And it relieves my anxiety in the evening when I take it, like set, eat one at seven or eight. And it does not get you high. I would not promote it if it got you high. I really would not. So um, some people might want it to get you high. That is not what you're going to get. But you will definitely notice the difference. And if you're using CBD and not noticing that it has an impact, then it's probably not good quality. So check out True Hemp Science. And if you buy $100 worth of stuff from them, you get a $25 oil. And you use the oil the same way. You just put a few drops under your tongue. It's just, it's really great. I love it. So if you use deep dives, you will get that $25 oil free with the deep dives promo code. But I'm not kidding. <laughs> I love uh, True Science. And also, if you want to know more about what's happening with me, I've been, or last year, last, last month, um, I did a newsletter for March. And I put a little, just like an update, like the first section of the newsletter, as soon as you open it, is like a little blog post, if you will. So um, I'll do another one. That's why it's taking me so long to get the newsletter out. But I'm going to do another one for April. But if you want to go look at that, that's at monicasdeepdives.com. And uh, I hope you enjoy it. And if you want to talk to me, of course, you can tweet at me at Monica Perez Show. This is Monica Perez. And thank you for listening to Deep Dive.